Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, I tell you what, let's do this. Why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. I want to read in verse 36 through 38. There was a prof- There was also a prophet, Anna, a daughter of Peniel, Penuel, of the daughter of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, just to mention, some translations say she was a widow 84 years. We know that they married young in that culture. But I'm telling you, at 84 years... This woman was either a widow or she was 84 years old. She had lived as a widow many years. But listen to how she spent her years of widowhood. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, of course, this was at the dedication of Jesus. He was, he was born, his parents were taking him to the temple, which was the custom. They were supposed to go and dedicate him, and they were going to bring an offering. And the offering that Mary and Joseph gave was the offering of the poor offering. It wasn't those that the wealthy individuals would give, but it was those that the poor individuals would give. And they came and they, inter- and they intercept, were intercepted by two individuals, an elderly man named Simeon and an elderly woman named Anna. And it was, both of them were mentioned and it, they, they spoke over this child. Now Simeon, he grabs the baby and he cries out and he says, Lord, now you can take me home. I'm ready to die because my eyes have seen that which, in in essence he's saying that which I've lived for. My entire life was lived for this moment. I've invested my life preparing for this moment. The Lord had promised him prophetically that he would hold the baby. What an amazing thing. The culmination of his life effort he held in his hands. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go home. And then Anna intercepts this little baby And she too recognizes that he is the Messiah. But it says of Anna that she was a prophet or a prophetess and that she'd spent all those years of widowhood praying, worshiping, and fasting. We need to realize that Jesus did not come in a vacuum. God didn't just say, you know what, I think I'm going to insert Jesus in that place in human history. There was human cooperation that had to happen in order for history to be prepared to receive the Son of God. So she was tilling the soil of history. It was the fullness of time, Galatians says. But what brought the times to their fullness? That ripening so that it could receive Jesus and we could have the redemption for all the human race. This little snapshot of this woman, Anna, and Simeon, and I'm sure there were many other players behind the scene, but Luke gives us an insight. He wants us to know there were some people preparing the ground for Jesus' invasion into the human race. My point is this, that it required somebody to dedicate themselves to intercession, to fasting, 
to worship with a prophetic heart, somebody that foresaw, understood the signs of the times and therefore knew what they should do. Someone who could cooperate with what heaven wanted to do to prepare the ground for heaven to invade earth. That, requ- that was required the first time Jesus came and it will be required the next time Jesus comes. Jesus will not return in a vacuum. I've been tossing this phrase over and over in my heart again, and those of you who pray uh, with us in the mornings uh, will probably recollect. It was, I, it, was, I don't, it was a number of months ago. I was praying one morning. I, ha- I went into a vision. I won't go into what that is. I've talked about it before, but it really intrigued me, and I thought, Lord, is it, it, what? well, uh, yes, I will go into it. I was laying here, and it was 6 a.m., okay? So all of a sudden, I went into this vision of this giant compass thing that was tilted it wasn't pointing true north and it was under the ground in Iowa it was under Iowa and I thought Lord is that is that you I thought that is so weird and I I wondered if I fell asleep you know I'm thinking I hope I didn't snore that would look bad as the pastor you know and so I stood up and I started praying and and uh and the Lord said look where it's pointing and it was pointing off to the northeast and so the Lord spoke to me about some things about that but I was I was like Lord is that really you this this compass under Iowa and I knew it was it, it was connected to the times and seasons for Iowa and so I called everybody forward and I said hey uh, this is what I just saw, at which point Joyce, wave Joyce, where you at? She, she went, ooh, pastor. She, this, that's her prophetic sign, ooh, pastor. And I know she's heard from the Lord. And she said, ooh, pastor. And I said, what? And she said, just before I came this morning, she said I was in the middle of a dream. I woke up and came right here. She said, I saw us praying over a map of Iowa. And as we were praying, the map morphed into a compass, but it couldn't find true north. It kept bouncing around. So as Roger said, he's not the brightest bulb in the room, neither am I, but I, being the discerning pastor that I am, I thought, we're on to something. God's showing us something. And I knew it had to do with the times and seasons. So the next day, we're, we're back here in prayer, and I'm walking down the aisle, and I just spoke this out. I, I knew it was somewhere in the Bible, but I'm not Bill Culver, so I didn't know where. Uh, so I said... Lord, you changed the times and seasons. And I was walking by Joyce, and she did another, ooh, pastor. And I said, what? She said, look at what the Lord just told me to turn to. She lifts her Bible, and it's Daniel chapter 2, and it's that verse. He changes the times and the seasons. He promotes kings and removes them. And so the Lord took me on this journey. I began to go after this thing and ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to us as a church? What are you saying to us as intercessors for this season? Because I knew that that, 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 uh, that compass was connected to the times and seasons and something that we were, we were held up in the purposes of God for our state. And so as we began to pray about that, God began to speak to me out of the word about how In redemptive history, from one perspective, you can divide redemptive history by the reign of men. In fact, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles are all examples of God dividing redemptive history by the reign of men. And when he removes a king and sets another in, it's because it's a new season in the God's timeline and he's doing something. Matter of fact, that verse that we love to quote as prophetic people 
The sons of Issachar, they knew the signs of the times and therefore knew what they should do. The context of that was the sons of Issachar coming to put a crown on David's head. Because they discerned that David was God's man of the hour. And they were moving from the reign of Saul, the old season, into the reign of David, the new season. And Saul was an example, not of God setting a king, but of God literally removing one. David and Saul transitioned out of their ministry differently. David, it says in in the book of Acts, he served his generation... And then he was laid to rest with his forefathers. He fulfilled the purpose. There's an interesting little verse. I want to say it's 1 Samuel chapter 7. It said, Then David perceived that God had made him king for the purpose of the children of Israel. David became aware of the purpose for his anointing. He had oil poured on his head and he sat on a throne. And he had tremendous authority. He lived a life of tremendous luxury as a king. But David perceived there was a greater purpose than his own comfort to his crown. He perceived God had made him king. Why? For the purpose of the children of Israel. He was to serve the purposes of God for that nation. David fulfilled those purposes and then was laid to rest. Saul, on the other hand, did not serve the purposes, and so God removed him and reset the timeline. And we should be encouraged by this, because when we have poor leadership, there are times where we have poor leadership, that when that happens... God can step in and reset the timeline. And the greatest years of Israel was following the days of Saul, where God had to prematurely remove him because of the fiasco of his leadership. And so the greatest years followed the reset. And David stepped in, and the timeline on God's redemptive history was, was reset, and David served his generation and died at a good old age. And so we need to understand that there are times and seasons Now, when Daniel talks about that, that verse, chapter 2, I want to say it's verse 29, it says that God sets the times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets kings. As the Lord of all the earth, God is the Lord of history. It truly is his story. And he's moving things in and out. And from our perspective, we look at those things and we get very concerned, and rightly so, but we need to understand that We have a partnership with heaven in this thing. And we pray that we fight our battles from the height of a bended knee. And that God will intervene. When the Lord showed me that compass, I won't go into all of it. There was was a whole lot to that. But one of the things the Lord began to speak to me about was that I I saw a stain. when, When I saw that vision, I saw a stain in the soil of Iowa. And I intuitively knew that it was a leadership stain. It was because of leadership failure in our state and that there had been numerous spiritual leaders that had had moral failures, financial improprieties, things that disqualified them from leadership and they had not fulfilled the cycle of their leadership. They hadn't fulfilled the purpose for which they were anointed and it seized the timeline. There were others out of discouragement who prematurely left their post. They prematurely left their assignment and it left some things undone. And it was like it seized the gears over Iowa. 
And the Lord was inviting us in as intercessors to close the gap and finish the work through intercession so he could reset the times. God wants to move us into a new season. The hour in which we are living is an epic shift in all of history. If Jesus tarries another hundred years, those living in a hundred years will look back at this time with, with shock and awe and realize the entire planet went through a seismic shift. We are living in that hour, and for some reason, God chose you and I to live in that hour. The book of Acts says that God chose the times and the places in which men should live. Two of the parameters of your calling are the generation in which you were born and the location in which you were born, the location in which you live. And we have to steward both of those things. The hour in which we live, we need to understand the times and know what we should do. We need to be a prophetic people. That's why Anna was so crucial. Anna was first a prophet before she was an intercessor, a worshiper, and someone who fasted. She entered into prophetic intercession. She heard the voice of the Lord and invested her life in what God was doing. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to spend my time praying, and if I'm going to skip some meals, I like food. If I'm going to skip some meals, I want to make sure I'm doing it for God's purpose. I want to make sure it's going to make a difference. And God wants us to have our ear to heaven and be a prophetic people that understand the times and therefore know what he should do, what we should do. We want to cooperate with him. And so God wants us to understand our responsibility, not only of the general times in which we live, but also the location. There's something crucial about Iowa. You need to realize that. God has purposes for locations. Matter of fact, the a, example of that is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a picture of redemptive history looked at through the lens of locations. There were these holy places, these places of significance. And we need to understand that there's a reason that God birthed you in this hour in human history, this tumultuous, chaotic time in human history, God in his wisdom said, you are set. You are capable of living in this hour and doing my will. It really is a vote of confidence, just the fact that you're alive in this moment. And so God has put us in this hour in human history to live and to steward the place and the times in which we live. When, when Daniel writes that phrase, God sets the times uh, and the seasons, the word times is different than the word season. The word time is a specific uh, Hebrew word, Iden, I-D-D-A-N. And it has to do with, it, it, there's two things that really mark this word. The first one is, it's an uh, 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 unspecific period. It's not like it's set as, as if, okay, it's going to be a year. No, it's a time, and we don't know when this thing will end, and it's tied to a specific purpose. So it's an undesignated amount of time tied to a specific purpose, and it will culminate when the purpose is fulfilled, not when the, when the clock runs out. 
And we need to understand that because from God's perspective, he interacts with time differently than you and I do. We're down here saying, when is Jesus going to return? I wonder what the date is, and people are writing books about it. And God says to us, I already told you when I'd return, when you fulfill the Great Commission. This gospel of the kingdom shall preach, be preached to all ethnos, and then the end shall come. So it's the culmination of the purpose of the time that will complete the time and move us into the next season. And so in a biblical sense, those times are unspecified periods pregnant with a purpose. And when we discern the period in which we live, when we discern the times, then we can get about the business of fulfilling the purpose of that time. And there's a lot of us that are frustrated that things take so long, but it's because we don't understand the times, and therefore we're not about the business of the times. The children of Israel came out of the out of Egypt, heading to the promised land, they say it should have took them about 11 days, took them 40 years. Why? Because they didn't understand the purpose of the time. And what could have been an 11-day journey became a 40-year journey. We need to be about the Father's business, but we need to understand the purpose of the time in which we live. This is true on a micro scale and on a macro scale. It's true of our personal life. You need to understand, God, what is it you're doing in my life right now? What am I supposed to be doing? What, is, what am I supposed to set my heart to? What, what's the assignment for me in this time? Because seasons are larger eras divided up by smaller times. And when the times are fulfilled, it launches us into new eras. And I would propose to you that planet Earth is moving into a new era, a new season. There are seismic shifts happening. And it's crucial that when those type of things happen, when the gears of history are turning and we're moving into new seasons, that the intercessors be awakened and pray this thing through. Because it says in Daniel chapter 7, it says of the Antichrist... But this is true of the enemy in general. He attempts to manipulate the times. He attends to, he tries to manipulate the times and the law, it says. So the enemy tries to manipulate those things and seize the gears of God's progress. And the intercessors are crucial. And that's what Anna was. Paul said that Jesus came in the fullness of time. In other words, the previous period had culminated in all of its purpose, which moved them into the next season, opening a door for Jesus to invade planet Earth. That is always the case. Whether it's his incarnation when he came as a child, whether it's the second coming when he comes as the conquering king, or whether it's in the interim period where he comes in revival again and again to visit his church. Anytime he visits on that timeline, it demands that the people of God cultivate history to bring things to the point where he can enter in. He doesn't come in a vacuum. It didn't just happen. There were people partnering with heaven to prepare the times for Jesus' entrance. And if there's ever a time which you and I need to be praying, it's now. Yeah, that there are things shifting all over the globe. Yeah. 
I just read an article early this morning. It was a picture of the Taliban meeting with the Chinese leaders. A bunch of the turbaned Taliban were in China meeting with the political leaders. You think that's a coincidence that all of this came down just like a week and a half later? I think not. There are things going on behind the scenes that are beyond our comprehension. But we are a prophetic people that are to stand from the perspective of heaven. And God will let us in on things and know so we know how to pray. And we need to be those who are praying right now for God's purposes to be accomplished. I want to tell you, a lot of times what happens, we've talked about this many, many times. God has a strategy. It's a template he uses again and again and again all through human history. The greatest example, of course, is Calvary. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as the hidden wisdom of God. Jesus referred to it as the mysteries of the kingdom. The Greek word there is mysterion. The root word means war room. It means that they would get intel and they would shut themselves in a secure room to hammer out the strategy based on the intel that they gathered. And this strategy was so important, so crucial, so sensitive that they would seal it in a leather satchel with a wax seal and it would be delivered to the front line and only once it arrived at the right place and the right time could that wax seal be broken. And if it was broken prematurely, it was back to the strong board. They would burn the plans and go back to the drawing board. Because this, this was so important to the overall strategy of the conquering kingdom that they could not risk that it would fall into enemy hands. That's the idea behind what Paul calls the hidden wisdom and what Jesus called the mysteries of the kingdom. The hidden wisdom, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and he said, had the rulers of this dark age understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, Jesus was the bait. God put him on a hook and threw it out in front of the enemy. And when the enemy butt bit, the cross was the hook, Jesus was the bait, and at Calvary, God said it and reeled him in. It said, had they realized, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. From a human perspective, it was human failure. From God's perspective, it was divine victory. That is a pattern that God uses again and again and again throughout human history. Human failure becomes the bait to lure the enemy in and set the hook, and it results in heaven's victory. And it's the hidden wisdom of God. The enemy does not understand that what looks like a sure victory ends up being his greatest defeat. There's Example after example, Haman uh, hanging on his own cross and just stories throughout scripture on this pattern. It is not isolated to Calvary, but here's the catch. The hidden wisdom that is hidden to the enemy is often hidden to you and I. And whereas at Calvary, Jesus was the bait, now you and I are. And if we're not firmly rooted in that conviction that we prayed this morning, or the sung out, God is good. If you are not firmly convinced of that conviction, then you cannot be used at that level of wisdom. God cannot entrust you with those type of things 
because you will end up offended and disillusioned with God. Probably the greatest example that comes to mind, at least right now, is when Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. He said, there's a whole, there's a whole battalion up there. Let's go, you know, let's go make faces at them and pick a fight. And, and uh, if, if they say come up and fight, we'll know God's in it. I'm thinking, this is not a good plan. <laughs> but here's the picture. Jonathan was the prince, the son of the king. And he has an armor bearer that hangs around with him. And if you hang around with the son of the king, you're going to end up in a fight. And he's going to use you as the bait. Jonathan took him and his armor bearer and stood out there and said, Hey, your mother dresses you funny. You know, started saying things to him. And they said, Come up here, we'll give you some. And Jonathan's like, God's in this thing. What a crazy story. And they destroy the whole Philistine army. It's an amazing story. But it probably didn't feel all that amazing to the armor bearer in the moment. Like, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> the hidden wisdom of God that is designed to lure the enemy in and entrap him is often hidden to us, and we are the bait. And it can feel like, Lord, with friends like you, how do we, you know, we don't need enemies. Like, what are you doing to me? You're getting me in these situations. But when you know, A, God is good. And B, he is really, really smart. He is wise. Then you can surrender your life to be used in that way. And you'll see the expansion of the kingdom through your life. And it may really cost you. But that's okay. It's worth it. We are living in an hour right now where the good God the God who knows what he is doing is inviting intercessors in. The enemy's trying to manipulate the times. He's trying to set his kings in place. And it's time for the intercessors to dig in and cry out to God. The Lord wants to anoint us for battle. If there's ever a time that we should be praying, it's now. I want to share something with you this morning. And it really troubled me Tuesday morning. I, I'd just gotten back from, matter of fact, I'd called Gene and said, Gene, could you run prayer one more day? And he said, I'm fishing. <laughs> I said, God bless you, buddy. <laughs> and I'm glad I came because God really spoke to me. But I was so troubled by what I was seeing in the news. And I was just praying and praying. And I was right over here. And I want to tell you, you, you just weigh it before the Lord. But this is what I believe he told me. I was saying, Lord, how could we have done what we did in Afghanistan? How could we have abandoned those people like we did? And I felt like the Lord said this, the church abandoned America before America abandoned Afghanistan. I was so troubled by it. I thought, Lord, what do you mean? And the same motivation that caused some to sign off on this deal and the price is too high it's not our responsibility we can't do it forever all these things are the same reasons that we use for not praying for our nation and I tell you what I have to stand here I'm not, I'm not preaching at you I'm, I'm including myself this morning hey we're a praying church but we're praying a whole lot more now that things have gotten to crisis 
And perhaps they would not have had we been praying like this before. When we first started these prayer meetings a little over a year ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, my people know how to war, but they don't know how to govern. We know how to mobilize when it gets to crisis, but if we would have governed through prayer, we probably wouldn't have had to go back to war through prayer. And as I was praying, I, I saw a picture. I, I'm going to read it to you. What I saw, I wrote it down. As I was praying over there, I, I saw this. You remember those old satellite dishes that, that people used to have in their yard, big old obnoxious things about six and a half feet around? I saw one, and it was pointed down, and it was, it was like encrusted in stone. It was dirty. And I saw it begin to break loose, and it, like someone was at the controls adjusting this thing, and I knew in my heart it was a picture of the church. And as it began to turn, it was being dialed in, and I saw that the entire face of this dish was little mirrors all over the dish. And I knew that those mirrors were believers. We were all on this dish together. We were mirrors, and we were created to reflect the sun. We were created to be pointed at the sun, and we could be used to give great light and even to have very focused light and destroy things. We were a weapon in God's hand, but we'd been pointed in the wrong direction. And I saw this. It was like it was dusty and dirty, and the dust had literally turned to stone, and it began to break loose. The church as a mirror has turned towards the world. We have been more concerned over what the world thinks, whether of revival or politics or morality, than what God thinks. The church in America has adjusted its message according to cultural sensibilities, shaping it for consumption by the cool. This has caused us to remain silent on things that we need to be speaking out on. I saw a giant abandoned mirror that looked like a satellite dish made of smaller mirrors emerging from the dirt that had buried it. The dirt had been turned to brittle stone and encapsulated most of the dish like mirror. The mirror began to turn, breaking free from the stone that had largely hidden it and left it frozen in plates, tilted downward in the wrong direction. It was being turned, dialed in to reflect the sun, and I knew it was God working. God was breaking things loose in the church. I knew it had been designed to be turned towards the sun, directing its rays with focused intensity. It could shed great light into darkness and even be used as a weapon, a laser of highly focused light to destroy if needed. But the mirror had been turned on the wrong thing. It was reflecting that which it was to enlighten. It had been reduced to being shiny and beautiful, but ineffective and unable to give any light. We are a mirror created to reflect heaven, but we've had more concern. We've had our concerns earthbound, concerned with how we would be perceived. And understand when I say this, I, I believe there's a lot of people who have gotten into this with good motives, okay? So I'm not, I'm not pointing the, the, the finger at people's motives. I'm, I'm addressing how the enemy has begun to use this in our nation. The seeker movement the seeker movement has produced a mutated believer who is more concerned about what the world thinks than what heaven does. This is because they were converted under that genetic code. 
They are living out the DNA of their spiritual fathers. They carry an inherited immunity to the move of the Spirit due, due to its controversial nature. Their conversion sets their emphasis. A baby's conception establishes its genetic trajectory. It will determine how they look as they mature. But I saw mirrors falling off of this dish, and I saw the Lord replacing it. And I felt the Lord was saying that he's going to send a move that's going to produce sold-out saints. What we're seeing in this hour is people are being shaken in their faith. And in a, an ill-conceived way, people that we've, we've designed the church for the unbeliever. When the church is the gathering of the saints. And so what we've done, and, and, and hey, if, if as a pastor someone feels led to have their weekend service as an evangelistic event and they're discipling on the backside and enabling the spirit to move on the backside, then I am not the one to judge another man's servant. But I'm saying that there is a seductive nature that has overtaken the church and that we evaluate things based on how they'll be perceived by the world rather than how they'll be perceived by heaven. And that's what the Lord was speaking to me when he showed me that, that dish of mirrors. Out of curiosity, I went online. I thought, is, is there even such a thing? And sure enough, it's, interestingly enough, it's called a parabolic dish. It's like a parable. It's a parabolic dish. I saw a guy took an old satellite dish and put mirrors on it. He held up a cloth and burned a hole in it just by putting it at the sun. They're dangerous. And so is the church when it's being what it should be. God's, there's a, there is a, there is a emphasis on the presence-based church that is coming to planet earth. Because our church as fashion to attract people is not going to hold people in the coming hour. And it's not time for us, you know, this is not a criticism like, well, we have it figured out. Man, the Lord convicted me. Had, had I been praying like I'm praying now before, perhaps we wouldn't be where we're at. I'm just telling you that God is going to shake the church and there's going to be some things that fall off, but God's going to replace it with a whole new genetically determined believer who's going to be birthed in the fear of the Lord and not going to care what the world thinks. I want to close this morning. If you would, if you'd stand. I want to especially... I want to invite everybody that's been coming to prayer in the mornings, and if you, if you feel called as an intercessor in a particular way, we're all supposed to be intercessors, but I'm saying you feel that pull from heaven in this hour. I want to pray impartation over you very quickly this morning. If you'd make your way up and just stand in the, in the front here, we want to pray. We're not going to belabor this. We need God to burn in us what he, his desires. And we need to be people who understand the times and therefore know what we should do. And only God can show us that. Anna was prophetic. She understood the times. She was dialed in to heaven. 
and therefore she wasn't pulled, you know, back and forth. I'm going to tell you, some of you, you need to stop watching the news. You really do. Because it's so all-consuming to you that you can't get into God's presence. You're so troubled by what you read that you can't pray about it. What you need to do, that's why she was both a worshiper and a prayer. Sometimes you can actually pray yourself into unbelief. That's why we need to mix worship, because worship looks at the answer, prayer looks at the problem. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.